I want, I'm going to um, read, um, well, tur- turn with me to the book of Romans, and we'll get into this. Book of Romans, chapter 3. Book of Romans, chapter 3. I'm going to teach on, or I plan to teach on, um, what I'm calling the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God. Romans, chapter 3. Aren't you glad he's faithful? And he sure is. You know, I, again, I just, um, I've been thinking a lot, and we're going to get into some, some, uh, some more of this as we go on here, but I just, again, for me, you know, and I shared often, uh, when the Lord started opening my eyes to his grace and to his love, it really was like I got born again again. I mean, it's just such a drastic, heart-enriching, you know, change. And just, it's like it, um, I don't know, it's like your fire almost goes out and somebody comes on and throws, you know, some fresh dry wood and about a gallon of gasoline. You know, whatever. It's just, it ignites you, you know. And for me, I was thinking last night, and I've been thinking some this week, just about how faithful the Lord is. And how good he is and how, you know, how the Lord can handle, you know, our stuff, you know. Um, I just never, you'll never encounter anyone that's as just ridiculously, blindly loving as Jesus is. It's just, it's absurd. You know, I, I, I was thinking about the Gospels last night and, you know, a lot of the mainstream charismatic Christian doctrines that some of us have held to are nothing more than denials of the finished work of Jesus. That's, you know what I mean? Like so many of the doctrines we endorse and promote and teach as, as if they're scriptural are nothing more than saying that what Jesus did wasn't good enough. Really. Like I mentioned before that we had worship there, um, Just think about this. Think about the Gospels, all right? Think about, like with healing, for example. Jesus, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see that healing and miracles and deliverance were a huge part of his ministry, right? And so we see in there that Jesus, you know, there's not one account, there's not one single account in all the Gospels where Jesus ever told one single person that I can't heal you or I won't heal you because you have unconfessed sin. Not one. And yet that's one of our big charismatic doctrines. Because whenever something doesn't manifest instantly, we start, we, we play the sin witch hunt. Well, what's wrong? What did I do? What am I not doing right? Da, 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 da. And so we think that there's something standing between God and us that's preventing the blessing from flowing. And there are times where there's a time you know, the, like James in the book of James talks in chapter 1, he talks about letting patience have her perfect work. Now, that's not when James talks about letting patience have her, its perfect work. He's not saying like, well, it may not be God's will now, but in 10 years it might be. He's just saying even if it doesn't manifest now, patience is, biblical patience is faith over a period of time. So sometimes you can stand in faith and something manifests instantly. 
But patience is, even if it doesn't manifest instantly, I'm believing just as much now as I am when it happens. I've shared with you guys a lot of times, um, when Kara told me we were at work and she came and it was, it was, I feel like I share it all the time, but not everybody's heard it. So Kara and I were working at the ministry in Tennessee and we went to lunch and we got back to the ministry at one o'clock. And Kara said, don't forget, we need that money today. And I, I'm a man, so I said, what money? You know, just in one ear. Kara told me yesterday, she said, or maybe yesterday, she said, I don't think stuff goes in for, for me. She said, you know, for you, I don't think stuff goes in one ear and out the other. She said, I don't even think it makes it to the ear. It just detours before it gets there. All the wives said, amen. <laughs> so, but she told me, she said, we need that money. I said, what money? She said, $700 that we owe on the credit card this month. I said, okay. So, went to my office, sat down at my desk and prayed, and I prayed I mean, just like I do here, I didn't, you know, get on the floor, in the floor in Travel and call the intercessors and pull my hair out and, you know, take a bath in anointing oil. I didn't baptize myself for nothing. You know, I just prayed. I, and I told the Lord, I said, Lord, this is how I prayed. You got, a lot of you have heard this. I sit down at my desk. I think I closed my eyes. And I said, Lord, uh, Kara just reminded me that, you know, like, you, you think, it, like, I don't speak King James English to Joel. I'm like... Brother Joelith, how blessed thou beeth, who wanteth the gameth? You know, like, so we don't have to do that to God. You know what I mean? Like, he can hear us. And I don't think God speaks King James English. He can, like, if that's the only way you think he talks, and that's, he wants to make sure that you know it's him, he can. Don't misunderstand me. Hello. But he doesn't, like, have to. Anyways, all right. So I said, Lord, we need, uh, Kara just reminded me that we need that $700. And... Um, and here's the thing, we had it in savings, I just didn't want to spend it, I didn't want to take it out of our savings. I said, Lord, we have the money in savings, our savings account, I said, but Lord, I just don't want to spend it, so I just ask you to take care of it, and I ask, and it's a little bit shortened version, but you know, I explained it a little better, but, uh, but Lord, I just ask you to take care of it, and uh, ask you for it in Jesus' name, and Lord, I believe that I receive it now, thank you, amen, you get the gist. So, Kara said, and we need it by, uh, four o'clock, that way I have time to get to the bank, and so we can put it there, and so it shows up, and so anyway, she called me at like right about four o'clock or so, or she texted me, and she said, hey, somebody just gave us $700, and so I'm like, Jordan, did you get so excited? No, I didn't get so excited, because I believed I received when I prayed. I got excited when I asked the Lord for it, and so I know this isn't very long. This isn't like 10 years, but from one o'clock till four o'clock, you know, that was, that was patience, Am I making sense? That was faith. I know three hours isn't long, folks. I get that. But you understand the point? All right. So from one to four, I was in patience, or I was in faith over a period of time. Amen? And so anyways, you know, thinking about the Gospels and, and how much uh, of what's taught outright denies the finished work of Jesus. Much of our mainstream uh, doctrines do that. And... That being said, I was thinking about this week, like I think about London, you know, my son, and Haven. Of course, London's a little bigger, and so London, you know, falls down. Or London, you know, does something he's not supposed to do sometimes. Or, you know what I'm saying? If you have kids, you know, they don't always listen perfectly. But I think about how London is... It's not about his grasp on me. It's about my grasp on him. 
In our backyard at Linda's house, we were, there's these uh, set of stairs in the back. Or they're, just, they're not stairs. They're just, I don't know, planks or I can't think of the word, but that. So, so London is just big enough. He can, if he really stretches, he can kind of, there's only like four of them, but he can, he can just make it. But, he, you know, he couldn't even just not long ago. So we're in the backyard playing, and he walks down, and I'd hold his hand. And so even if London fell when I was holding him, I was holding him. You know what I mean? So it wasn't about, in London sometimes he would even try, um, like if we're out somewhere in a parking lot, like, you know, hold daddy's hand. So, you know, there would be times where he would try to hold me, but I don't let him hold me because his hold on me is not good enough. His little hand's too small, and he's not strong enough. But daddy holds him. And when daddy's holding him, even if he does slip or almost fall, I've got him. Am I making sense? So it's not about London's hold on me. And so even on this today, on the faithfulness of God, it's not about, at the end of the day, our faithfulness to God, which is important, don't misunderstand me, but we we make ourselves, like, like legalism always takes the gospel and perverts it and makes it about you instead of about Jesus. All right? And so it's supposed to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we've made it the gospel of you, which isn't really a gospel at all. And so we spend much more time teaching and emphasizing, generally speaking, on what we have to do instead of what Jesus already did. You know? And I think for me, just, you know, and we could go through several examples. I know I'm kind of, we're going somewhere. Okay. I mean, we could, we could go through several, several, several examples here. But um, some that I touch on a lot would be like, um, like d- d- Jesus, you know, said, deny yourself. You know, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. So legalism does what it always does and perverts that and twists it and, and somehow comes up with you have to die to self, you have to dedicate yourself, you have to try harder, you have to do better, you have to whatever. But Jesus clearly said in that verse, he did not say try harder. Jesus said, deny self. All right? So deny the system of self. Deny making it about you and your works. Deny that system. Take up your cross. Well, what is our cross? Our cross is his cross. What did Paul say? I am crucified with Christ. So it's not about me dying to self. It's about me. Paul's talked about it in Romans chapter 6. But the King James says, reckon yourselves dead indeed unto sin. So it's not about how I have to do something to die to sin. It's considering, did Jesus die to sin? Yes. Well, if I'm crucified with him, then I died to sin. Did Jesus resurrect into eternal life and perfect righteousness and holiness? Yes. Then I resurrected into eternal life, perfect righteousness, and perfect holiness. As he is so am I in this world. Amen? And this, this is really like, this is the faith walk. And as much as I believe in healing, as much as I believe in miracles, as much as I believe in God's provision and all of that, that's not really the emphasis in the New Testament. The real emphasis of faith and the faith walk of the believer in the New Testament is by and large faith righteousness about whether you can believe you're righteous in Jesus or not. And see, that's what qualifies us for everything. So again, it's not about, well, I, I'm not healed yet because I've not confessed all my sins. Or I, can, I committed some sin when I was seven years old and I didn't get forgiveness for it. Or whatever. 
Just this whole mentality. And I'll be honest with you, I think that's where we miss it, and I think that's where we, we step out of faith. I think that's where we step out of patience or faith over time, is, is if it doesn't manifest instantly, I start looking for what I'm doing wrong. And that's a trap, man. I mean, that's just a trap. You know, I mean, how it, like, it almost never works. You know, we, we do something and it doesn't. And then here's what we do. We, especially charismatics, we're terrible for this. You know, I'm not healed instantly and it's been a week and nothing's changed. And so I start remembering that I heard so-and-so famous preacher that I like. It's okay to like so-and-so famous preacher, but you've got to have your own walk with God. And so we say, oh, well, brother so-and-so prayed for somebody one time. And they said that the Lord said da 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 And we project, like, ourself into that. Am I making sense at all? Okay. So so-and-so said somebody didn't get healed because they, you know, kicked a goat one time. And they had to get forgiveness for it. Oh, I must have done something one time. And, you know, so I'm not healed yet. So, I, like, we just put that, we interject that into our life, into our thinking, and in our situation. And what we do is we just neutralize faith terribly, you know. And so I would encourage you, if it's not working, don't really... Get all been out of shape on why it, or what, I won't even say it's not working. If it hasn't manifested yet, don't get all been out of shape on why hasn't it happened yet or why hasn't it manifested yet. Just do what Jesus said. Believe you receive when you pray and take a stand on that, man. Take an absolute stand on that. I mean, well, you know, when I got saved, I was 19 years old. And, I, and Jesus came into my room in rehab. I got saved. He healed my body. All that. I was a needle junkie, a convicted drug dealer, but it took me eight months. It took me eight months to renew my mind, to stop craving dope. I was a coke, I was a coke, coke addict. I shot up a crackhead, Oxycontin and morphine addict. And so it took me eight months. My spirit was, was created new in, in the image and likeness of God. You know, I was a new creation in here, but I wasn't up here. <laughs> you know, you don't get a new brain, unfortunately, when you get saved, you know. So it took me eight months to bring my thinking process, my thinking patterns, my emotions, my mind, my will. And see, Paul talked about this in Ephesians 4. He said, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, which, which simply means teach your mind to think like your spirit does, all right, which our spirit agrees with and thinks in accordance with the Word of God. So it took me eight months, and I would just walk the floor, and I learned a few things about faith, thank God. And so I would walk the floor. I lived in a halfway house, and I had a bedroom downstairs, and my roommate wasn't there most of the time. So I just walked the floor. Jesus, Lord, thank you. And I would take scriptures. Lord, thank you, John chapter 8. Lord, thank you that who you set free, Lord, they are free indeed. Lord, I thank you that I know the truth, and the truth has made me free. Well, so I, I would take that, and I would apply that to addiction. And it would work with anything. It'll work with sickness. It'll work if you're depressed. It'll work for if you're struggling with perversion or homosexuality or, or any number of things. You can just take that and say, Lord, I thank you that I am not what my feelings say. I am not what, what my thoughts say. I'm not my past experience. Lord, I am only who the Word of God says I am. Lord, I thank you. And then for me, I would use Ephesians 6. Lord, I thank you that I am strong in the Lord and in the power of of his might. Lord, I thank you that right here, right now, this very moment, I am free from the power of addiction. Now, very often, I would be saying that while my mind and emotions are screaming to go get an Oxycontin and get high, you know? So, it's not about what you feel. If I would have went by how I felt, 
I would have not said, I'm free. I would have said, you know, Lord, I thank you. Oh, this doesn't work. Let's go get high. You know what I mean? Like, more or less, that's just if I would have went by how I felt. And so that's really the hardest thing. And that's where we miss it a lot of times as faith people. We try to believe God for things in the realm of faith, except when it comes to righteousness. You know what I mean? And righteousness or being, having right standing with God is the foundation. That's the number one foundation. And that's why, like I was saying earlier, that we, get, we let the devil talk us out of the things that we're qualified for. Because, you know, somebody comes along and they'll tell you, they say, hey, good news, healing is always God's will. And you say, woohoo, praise God. And so you find out it's God's will, but then if it doesn't happen instantly, we, we let people start telling us why we're not qualified. Oh, it's, it is always God's will, but, you know, you've got unconfessed sin, but you're not perfect yet, but you don't pray enough, but you've not given enough this month, but you didn't help somebody one time 13 years ago, but blah, 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 blah. There's always something in our experience that we could think of that disqualifies us from the blessings. So it's really, it's like a sick trap, man. It's almost like worse because, you know, people, well, it's always God's will, but, you know, and then you got to go up to the altar call and meet one of 12 requirements to finally qualify. You know what I'm saying? And the reality is, and that's how faith gets neutralized, because we are qualified. The blood of Jesus has qualified us for the blessings of God. Amen? And so don't let the devil or anybody else, demon or deacon, talk you out of what Jesus' blood has purchased for you and qualified you for. And man, if it takes a fight, then dig your heels in and tell the devil to bring it on. Amen, Jordan. Good preaching. Thank you, brother. Hallelujah. All right? And it can take a fight. Paul said there's a fight, but it's the fight of faith. And that's the only fight. I heard Brother Hagen say one time, Brother Hagen, um, I, I have the teaching. He said some Christians are trying to fight the devil all the time. He said, you, you, you can't fight the devil. He said, you wouldn't stand a chance. But Jesus already defeated him for you, so just stand in what Jesus did. Then he said this. He said, some Christians are always trying to fight sin. He said, you don't need to fight sin. Jesus defeated sin for you and came up out of the grave free from sin. He buried your sin and left it in death and hell. Amen. So our only fight is the fight of faith. And be encouraged. I, I, I exhort you guys today. You know, be encouraged. Uh, I didn't plan on any of this, but be encouraged, man. Take a stand on the things of God. Don't let the devil talk you out of it. It doesn't matter. Well, Sister Sally, if anybody believed God, Sister Sally didn't. It didn't happen for her. Sister Sally's not the Word of God. Her experience, is there a Sally in here? Okay. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, <laughs> Sister Sally is not, you know, the, what determines our faith. The Word of God does. Amen. Hallelujah. Are you at Romans 3 yet? Probably. I'm not. I guess I better get there. Romans chapter 3. And I'll tell you that, you know, it helps me in my faith to know that God is faithful. You know, that, and this is really the thing, and, and this can be hard to get. God is consistent. God's faithfulness, like, never takes a day off. Doesn't even take a lunch break, you know? Absolutely consistent. God's grace is consistent. God's love flowing to us is consistent. Uh, God's power, you know, is always ever flowing in our direction. You know what I mean? 
it's, it's again, we're always trying to get something that we're all, we already have. You know, you think about, and I'm not, I, I know I preach and I get excited. I, anybody that knows me personally, I am not a dogmatic person. I, I, one thing I don't like to do, I do not like to argue doctrine with anyone. I don't like to debate. I just, I can't stand that kind of stuff. You know, let's just find out what we can agree on. Now, when I'm teaching, I have an obligation to teach what I believe is error against what is error. To, you know what I'm saying? Expose, Jesus did. Jesus talked about, he, he exposed his own disciples. He said, look, you guys, beware of the traditions and the doctrines of the Pharisees and traditions of men, because they'll make the true word of God of no effect. So there's a place for that in the pulpit, and there, you know, there's a place for it outside of it, but I just don't like to be some religious, you know, if you come, like Andrew Womack said, if you come here looking to find something wrong, I've got something for you, I'm sure, you know, I don't know what it is, but you'll find something, none of it, you know what I mean, I don't look for that kind of stuff, you know, I look for what I can agree, there are preachers that I like, and that I listen to, and that I receive from on a regular basis, that many of my, you know, personal friends, and I'm thinking of real life examples here, I won't say who, but that like, would never, like, they might talk, me, preacher, preacher friend, preacher. Am I making sense? So they would never, like, quote this person from their own pulpit. They would never say anything about them, even though they may agree with 99% of what they say. But they're afraid. Am I make, does that make sense? It's like, that stuff doesn't bother me, man. I don't give a rip. I listen to Baptist people. You know, I got a book by Charles Stanley, and he's Baptist as the day is long, and I'm charismatic, tongue-talking, devil-stomping, Jesus, you know, miracle worker as the day is long. And it doesn't bother me a bit to listen to Charles Stanley or to recommend to other people, yeah, Charles Stanley's a good minister. You know, let's not look for what, you'll, you'll find something. You know, we'll all, we, we've all got something for somebody that they won't like. I don't know why I'm talking about all this. Let me just try to get to the, I'm trying to read a verse here, if you guys would let me. No. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 3, verse 3. Again, I'm going to attempt, I don't know if I'm going to get there, I'm going to attempt to teach on the faithfulness of God. Romans 3, 3 says, For what if some did, and I am, I'm going to start in the King James, I'm going to read some other verses and some other translations, but we'll start in the King James. For what if some did not believe? Did not believe what? God. Now check this out. He says this. Shall their faith, excuse me, shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? All right, one more time. Verse 3. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God? Or let's say it this way. Does their unbelief make what God believes? Of no effect. And then look at the next part of verse here. He says, God forbid, yea, let God be true, and every man a liar. I heard, um, does anybody know who Jesse Duplantis is? Amen, sister. <laughs> Again, so we don't build stuff. And, and you know, this is where, like, this is one of the areas where I'm not as popular with some of my charismatic friends is I don't let brother so-and-so's visions determine my doctrine if I don't think it lines up scripturally. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's Brother Hagan, Andrew Womack, Joseph Prince, Jesse. I don't care. If I don't think it lines up with the way I see the scripture, good for them. I'm not saying they're wrong, but if I don't see it that way, I'm not going to. Anyways, Jesse did share something, and, and 
people that know Jesse well at all or of his ministry, he went to heaven. Jesse, uh, the Lord took him to heaven, and, and he had a great experience there. Matter of fact, you can find uh, him teaching or talking about that on YouTube, and it's Jesse DePlanis. Um, he calls it Close Encounters of the God Kind. I think that's what he called it. And he was at John, uh, what was then John Osteen's church uh, before he died, and Joel took it over, John Osteen's church, Lakewood, and, and talked about that. Anyways, when Jesse was in heaven, the Lord took him all around, gave him a tour. When he got to the end of his tour, and the Lord is getting ready to send him back, the, Jesse told the Lord, I think he said he put his hand on the Lord's shoulder. He said, Lord, he said, I, I failed so many times. I just, I don't, and Jesse was like stumbling around. On, he was trying to say, Lord, I, I'm so unworthy. You know, you see the perfection of Jesus, you know what I mean? It's like, and you, then you see your own imperfection, you know. He said, Lord, I, I failed so many times. I've, mi I've missed it so many times. I've failed so often. And the Lord said to Jesse, he said, Jesse, I don't remember that. And see, we have scripture for that. But that really Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, where the Lord says, In the day of the new covenant, I'll take your sins away, and I will remember them no more. That is really one of the most disbelieved scriptures in all the Bible. Because we think that God keeps an itemized list of all our, our sins. Typically, that's the idea. Of course, 1 Corinthians 13 talks about love. Well, 1 John 4 tells us God is love. And then 1 Corinthians 13 says, when, he's, when Paul is giving characteristics of love, the God kind of love, he says love, so if God is love, you could say God, love keeps no record of wrongs. So God keeps no record of wrongs. Aren't you glad? I mean, it's not even on the books, man. There are no books. It's been cleared, you know, and we don't, we don't believe that, but see, generally. But from God's perspective, like forgiveness, for example, is a finished work. And, and a minute ago, I was mentioning, like, in faith, we don't, we don't have the foundation right, which is faith righteousness. Faith people, we try to believe God for healing. No matter what I see, no matter what I feel, I'm going to stick to the word, by whose stripes I was healed. That's my truth. I believe that in the story. We stick with that. Then if it's finances, we say, I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what the bank account says. I don't care what the economy says, what the job situation says. My God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. But when it comes to righteousness, right standing with God, which is the foundation, if we didn't have righteousness, we wouldn't have this other stuff. To be righteous means to be right or it means to be qualified. All right? So we've been qualified for all the blessings of God. And so when it comes to righteousness, we stop believing the word of God, generally speaking, and we start believing our experience. Now, for, for those of you who do have any type of word of faith background at all, you know what I'm saying, that, that I stand on the Word. If the Word says I'm healed, then by His stripes I was healed, period, end of story. Amen. And that is true, by the way. All right? But when it comes to right standing with God, we don't believe what the Word says. We believe how we feel. We believe our experience, you know, which is sad. And that's exactly how the devil nullifies our faith. Okay? Are you out there? All right. So again, this verse says this. Does the unbelief of man make the, what God believes, which is the truth, the truth of God, of no effect? And he, Paul, I love his answer. God forbid. All right? So think about, think about just these things we're talking about here, and we'll move on here. Um, like forgiveness, for example. God believes 
that humanity has been forgiven of all their sins. Now, they're not all born again, but they're all forgiven. All right? God believes that, but the world doesn't typically believe that. The church doesn't typically believe that. The gospel, and I've said it plenty of times, the gospel is so good, most born-again Christians don't believe it. Most born-again Christians probably haven't heard the gospel. Would you get me that book? Uh, there's a, I want to read something to you guys there. Yeah, it, there's two little books there. It's the, kind of the pink one. I want to read something to you guys here. Thanks, sir. Read something to you here uh, from Brother Hagen. Again, I wasn't planning this, but that's okay. Anyone heard of Kenneth E. Hagen? Most of you. Okay. This little bitty book here called Paul's Revelation, The Gospel of Reconciliation. Brother Hagen, in chapter 2 of this little book here, <clears throat> excuse me, my mouth's really dry. Brother Hagen talks about an encounter he had with the Lord. And when the Lord, actually a friend of mine, you know a lot of these books like they take from preacher sermons, Brother Hagen only sat down and actually wrote one book, handwritten. It's called The Midas Touch. It's uh, The Midas Touch, A Balanced Approach to Biblical Finances. But this was taken from a sermon. A friend of mine was in the, the service uh, when Brother Hagen actually taught this. Anyways, let me find out here. Look, check this out. Brother Hagen says this. He said, this happened. Let me back up. Brother Hagen said, Jesus said to us, is this okay? I know this is a little different, but he said, Jesus said to us, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And then in brackets, he has good news to every creature. Mark 16. What is this good news he wanted us to go tell? He says, we've never really, pre now listen to this. He said, we've never really preached the gospel yet. We've preached a gospel, but we've not preached the gospel. Then he says this, when you discover what the gospel really is, it may come as a great shock to you. It shocked me when I first discovered it. This happened many years ago while I was preaching a meeting in California. One day, I was alone in the church praying and studying. I was sitting on the platform reading. I had my Bible open to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Good chapter, by the way. And as I read the 17th and 18th verses, they leaped out at me. Now listen to this. He says, what I read shocked me so much that I jumped out of the chair. I must have jumped three feet. My Bible went sailing one way, and another book I had in my lap went another way. I said to myself, no, 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 I didn't read that. No, it did not say what I thought it said. I was trembling. He said, I picked up my Bible and read it again. I thought, now here we are, because we've all been there. Brother Hagin said, I read it again and thought to myself, no, I can't accept that, but it's there, <laughs> you know. Here's what I read, and then he goes into 2 Corinthians. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. All things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And, and this is the part that sh shook him up so bad. You wouldn't, like, 
if I just read it to you, it won't sound like it, but as, as he goes on, here's the part that shook him up. And hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Not, now this is Brother Hagin. Not only did God, through Jesus, defeat Satan, but God made us new creations who have authority over Satan. He has, Satan has no authority over us. We are new creations. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. He says, and of all, all these things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. Then he says this, who has given us the ministry of reconciliation, but what is the ministry of reconciliation? And again, this is where it, like, it, messed, it messed him up, you know. And, you know, Andrew Womack talks about how he had an encounter with God. And he talks about it a lot, and it's the encounter that came and, uh, I don't know, messed him up in a good way. And so he had an encounter with God, and God revealed himself to Andrew. And Andrew said, basically, when God came to him that day and, and had an experience with him, God basically showed Andrew his glory. And when Andrew saw all of God's goodness, he saw all of his badness. Everything him, other, you know, not the born-again part of him, but just in his works, how messed up he was. And he said, as soon as he thought God, he said, I actually thought, you know, the Lord was going to kill me, judge me right there. I'm out of here. I'm done. He said, when I thought the Lord was going to judge me, he revealed his love to me. And so it took Andrew, I think, probably a couple of years, maybe really several years, before he could go to the Scriptures and find biblical doctrine for what he experienced, you know? And that's kind of what happened here to Brother Hagin. Verse 19, he says, to know... That God was, now listen to this, God was, I know this is a little different, I don't normally do this, but it's good. He says, to know that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. All right, now look at this, he says, the, he, uh, he says verse 19 again, in the Amplified, it was God personally present in Christ, reconciling and restoring the world to favor with himself, not counting up and holding against men their trespasses, but canceling them and committing to us the message of reconciliation, the restoration of favor. Now look at this. Brother Hagen goes on. He has committed to us this message of reconciliation and of the restoring of favor to us. God does not want us to go tell sinners that if they will be good and if they will cry half the night or if they'll do penance for half a year, he might eventually have mercy on them and do something for them. No, he wants us to go tell them that God Almighty has already canceled out their debt. Look at this. He is not holding one thing against them. All right? Then he goes on. He says, God, past tense, has canceled out their trespasses. He is not going to. Then Brother Hagin says this, can you see that we've never told them the good news? Amen. <laughs> All right. He goes on. I'm not going to read a little bit more here. He says this. He says, instead, believers have gone out and beaten poor old sinners over the head and wondered why they quit coming to church. Word. Amen. 
An old hog would have enough sense to quit coming if someone took a ball bat and hit his head every time he came up to eat. <laughs> you don't find anywhere in the Bible where God told us to go out and club the sinner. Yet people think they're supposed to do that. He said, no. Now listen to this. He said, no. The sinner is already under conviction. Amen. That is the absolute truth. Then he says this, and may God have mercy on some preachers and pastors who have, listen to this, now this is true, who have preached to saints the same way as if they were sinners. They think that there's preachers, some of them, think they're supposed to keep Christians under conviction and keep them praying at the altar. It's good for people to pray, but you don't have to beat them over the head to get them to pray. Much of the time, now listen to this. My God, I've lived here. Much of the time, these people that are getting beat up all the time, Christians, don't even know whether they're saved or not. You say, well, why is that? Because of the diet that they're fed. They're fed a diet that's got a little bit of truth with a lot of poison in it. You know? Now, he says, they go to church and then go home condemned. Yeah, they do. Then he says, now listen to this. He says, they want to hear the truth. Brother Hagin then says this. He says, I am convinced that if the full truth were given, people would run over themselves getting to church. And that is the absolute truth. A lot of times people say, yeah, you know, you, you got to give people grace, but then you got to give them truth. And the implication that truth is somehow hard, and that's when you slap people around, and that's when you tell people how dirty they are and how messed up. That's not the truth. And again, when, like, again, talking as we did earlier, before understanding anything about the love of God, that's the way we think, you know? We think that, like, and what happens is our mentality is, well, better safe than sorry, Better safe than sorry. So, like, we read, like, a couple of good verses, so to speak, what we'd call good verses, and then we end up, and, and what we're left with is all the stuff that condemns us. You know, I can remember, man, I can remember Kara and I, we lived at our house, uh, the house we lived at uh, when London, where London was born, and I was still learning some of the, and still am, but, you know, was still learning and fresh in some of these things. Man, I remember one time I opened, you know, the book of Ephesians. If there is a bless me book in the Bible, it is the book of Ephesians. But I was so bound with condemnation and sin consciousness. I opened up Ephesians chapter 1, read through about half of the chapter, put it down. I was so condemned. Just couldn't, couldn't go any farther. I mean, that's, that's, you know, and that's how legalism can pollute our entire thought pattern, our, our entire belief system. You know, you think like, we could go through several verses, but you, you know, you think about like, like the book of Revelation in chapters 1, 2, and 3, uh, particularly chapters 2 and 3, there's several verses where the Lord says, you know, da-da-da-da-da, then he'll say like, and I will not remove their names from the book of life. And, and I used to read those verses as condemning. I used to read those verses as if they said, oh, well, I could get my name removed from the book of life. But it doesn't say that. That verse is not a conditional, if you're perfect, I won't remove. That verse is nothing but a sure, steadfast blessing. I will not remove your name from the book of life. That's a good thing. There's nothing condemning about that. But when our belief system is polluted 
with what Jesus called leaven, the leaven of the Pharisees, the doctrines of men. That's what happens. We, we can't see like Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17 says, the man who depends on the works of the flesh, he said, for that man, when good comes, he can't even see it. So good is there, but we're so blinded. You know, we're so blinded by what we feel about ourselves. We're blinded by how condemned we are. You know, and we can't even see when the good has come. All right? <clears throat> Let me read just, uh, just a little bit more here. Look at this, and then we're going to get back into a few more scriptures here in a little bit of time we have left. Check this out. Brother Hagin says, let's continue reading verse 20 from the Amplified Bible. So we are Christ's ambassadors, God making his appeal, as it were, through us. We, we as Christ's personal representatives, beg you, for his sake, to lay hold of the divine favor that is now offered to you, and be reconciled to God. Then Brother Hagin says, Just come and lay hold of it. Just come and take it. He says, Don't come and cry half the night. Don't come and see if you can talk God into the idea of doing something for you. He was personally present in Christ doing something for you. Then he says, Come and take hold, lay hold of the divine favor that's offered to you and be reconciled to God. Then Brother Hagin says, that is the gospel. This is the good news. And it is. Can you say amen? This is simple good news of what God has done, already done for us. Now turn with me, if you would, to 2 Timothy, book of 2 Timothy. <clears throat> got a few more verses, and I think we got time to to read everything I'm planning to. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter 2, and let's start here in verse 11. Paul says this, he says, it's a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. Thank God for that. He says, if we suffer, we'll also, in other words, you know, like this, the scripture where Paul said, those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer some form of persecution. Anyways, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. No matter how hard this life is, we've got a glorious life awaiting us in the next life. All right, he said, if we deny him, he'll deny us. Now look at the next part. Check this out, man. Verse 13. If we believe not, time out, time out. Let me, let me show you something here. Just, we've been talking, I've been interjecting this. Notice there where Paul said, if we deny him, he will also deny us. Again, legalism hijacks verses like this. Because think about Peter. We have, a, we have a, an account of where Peter denied Jesus. Three times in one day. And what did Jesus do to him when Peter came back? Nope, get out of here, Pete. That's it. I'm done with you. No, he restored him. So that's not really saying, really, he, there's a couple of ways you could look at this. He's really talking about an unbeliever, though. Jesus talked about this in the Gospels. You don't confess me before men on this earth. You're not born again, in other words. That's all he's talking about. All right, keep going. He says this, verse 13, if we believe not... He still abides faithful. 
if we believe not, he's still faithful. In other words, that's the same thing in Romans chapter 3. God is never going to change his mind to fit my doctrine, <laughs> you know? So if I make a mistake and I go before the Lord and I say, Lord, man, I'm, I'm, such a, I'm the sorriest saint that there ever was. I'm not even worthy of being a saint. God, just I'm so sorry. I'm so pathetic. God's not going to change his mind about us to fit our situation. God's going to believe the word every time. You tell God how sorry you are and how pathetic you are and how sinful you are and how much you've missed it and how much you've messed up and how much you don't deserve and qualify, God's going to say the same thing to you. No, no, no. You're the righteousness of me. You're my righteousness through my son's finished work. Amen. My dad one time. My dad, I can remember uh, maybe two or three times in my life that he ever got sick. He, he walks in divine healing and health. One time he got sick, and, and then he told me, I've heard him talk about it but, you know, several times. He, he, he tried to stand on the Word, and then he went to the Lord. He said, Lord, I am sick, and something's not right here. What's going on? Why am I sick? Why am I not feeling any better? And the Lord spoke to him and said, by my stripes you were healed. And Dad said, Lord, I am healed? What do you mean healed? I am sick as a dog here. And Dad said he just kept on. And every time he'd bring a new argument and a new angle of looking at it and a new perspective to the Lord, the Lord never would change his mind. And the Lord kept speaking to him. By my stripes you were healed. He could not get the Lord to change his mind about his situation. Even though his body was currently yielding to symptoms, the Lord refused to believe that. Not that he's, it's not like mind over matter denying the, the natural reality, but it, there's a higher truth than that. The Word of God. Am I making sense? No? Okay. So, no. Am I making sense, really? Got some yes and some? Okay, good. All right. So, you go to the Lord. It's like London. If London comes to me and, and says, you know, I mean, he, he's almost three. I don't think he'd think of this. But if he came to me and, you know, like the prodigal son and said, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, you know, I would deny that. Say, no, you're my son. You're mine. All that's mine is yours. You're qualified. You're loved. You're accepted. Period. End of story. Well, the Lord does the same thing. Now, see, Romans chapter 3 said that. Does the unbelief of man make the faith of God of no effect? No. God will never change his mind. So, so think about any time some preacher stands up and says God hates America, God's mad at America, God's going to judge America, that is their belief. But, and since that's not true, that's what Romans 3 calls, does the unbelief of man make the faith of God of no effect? So God's not going to conform his belief system to line up with that. All right? And if I'm sick, God's not going to change his belief system for me. The Spirit of God is going to remind me that I'm qualified for healing. Any voice that doesn't remind me that I'm qualified in Jesus, that all his promises, all his blessings are yes in Christ and amen in him, any voice that tells me contrary to that is not the Spirit of God. Any voice, any thought, any feeling that tells me that I'm not righteous in Jesus, that's not the Spirit of God. Amen? All right, let's keep reading here a few more verses. Verse 13, let me read that verse one more time. He says this, If we believe not, yet he abides faithful, he cannot deny himself. All right? So in order for God to stop believing truth and start believing our circumstantial experience, he would have to deny himself, in which case he wouldn't be God at all. Amen? All right, turn with me to 1 Corinthians. We've got just two more portions of Scripture, then we'll close. 
1 Corinthians chapter 1. And as we read these last two portions of Scripture, I want us to see that God is... There's a Scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 7, I think verse 9, that says that God is faithful to the covenant. And that's really... I don't know how to say it. That's really, like God is a personal God. He's a God of love. He's faithful because He loves us. But God has legal grounds. God has legal grounds to be faithful to us. You know what I mean? Um, like Ray Rice. Again, back to football. The football player, most of you, who, if you don't even watch football, probably saw over the last several months. He's the guy who they had a video of him on the elevator and uh, knocked his fiance out. You guys see that? Yeah. So Ray Rice um, originally got suspended for like two games before that video came out, and then it was like, I think, indefinite suspension. They didn't know what they were going to do. So Ray Rice appealed because he was first suspended for two games. Then the video came out. But Ray Rice, and then they gave an indefinite suspension. He appealed, he appealed the indefinite suspension because he had already received a verdict. So what do we call that? Double jeopardy. And you know the, one, the, the judge that he appealed through said he's right. He, can't be, he, he did a suspension that he was originally given. Regardless of what came out later, he was already given a sentence. And so now he's free to sign with anybody that wants to sign him. I don't know who will. <laughs> Maybe somebody eventually will. But it's, see, there was legal precedent. And it's not that God's some like strict whatever... He's faithful to us because He loves us, but God has legal precedence. All right? Now, in the book of Acts, there's a scripture that says that in the fullness of times, when, when Jesus came, God would no longer wink at sin. I think you guys know that verse in the book of Acts. I don't know where it's at or I'd, I'd reference it. But there's a scripture that says God no longer winks at sin. And what that means is God has actually dealt with sin. So God isn't... Um, just sweeping sin. Grace doesn't mean God just sweeps in under the rug. He's not looking, pretends it doesn't happen. No, sin has been dealt with. Amen? And so that's why God's grace, unconditional love, His unmerited favor, His, His everlasting mercy towards us is without fluctuation. That's why it is so consistent. The only way God could stop being merciful and gracious to us, the only way God could impute our sins against us would be if he could somehow undo the finished work of Jesus. We are as forgiven with, with such finality as the finished work of Jesus is. Does that make sense? All right, good. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. I'm going to read this in the Amplified. First Corinthians 1, 8 and 9. And this is so cool because the Corinthians were the most carnal church that we see in the Scriptures that Paul had to deal with. They were a mess. And then Paul opens up his letter with this exhortation to them. Verse 8, he says, And he, talking about the Lord, will establish you to the end. He will keep you steadfast. He will keep you steadfast. He will give you strength. Now, now think about this. Who's going to do this? God's going to do this. God will establish you to the end. God will keep you steadfast. 
God will give you strength and God will guarantee your vindication. He will be your warrant against all accusation or indictment. Woo! That's good news. Then he's he go, going on here, verse 8. So that you will be guiltless and irreproachable in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't always feel guiltless. I don't always feel irreproachable. If I went by how I felt, I could think of a lot of reasons why I feel like God could bring reproach against me. But the Scripture says that Jesus is our guarantee of vindication. Jesus is the unchanging Think about this. Jesus is the unchanging faithfulness of God to us. Aren't you glad? Amen. Going on here, verse 9. He says this, God is faithful, reliable, trustworthy, and therefore ever true to His promise. So He can be depended upon. Now look at this. He says this, by Him... You were called into companionship and participation with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen? Let's turn to 1 John chapter 1, and then we'll close. 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, and I'm, I'm going to stay in the Amplified. <clears throat> and we'll start in verse 6 here. Your page is turning. I'll let everybody get there. First John chapter 1, verse 6. Now, in First John chapter 1, first, as a matter of fact, First John chapter 1 is the only epistle in, in all the New Testament that doesn't start with a typical introduction to believers, including Second and Third John, where he does greet believers. All right? So, First John chapter 1, John is dealing with unbelievers in chapter 1, all right? Verse 6, he says this, and I am in the Amplified. So if we <clears throat> say we are partakers together and enjoy fellowship with him when we live and move and are walking about in darkness. Now, he's not talking about a Christian who's in sin. As bad as that is, we all do it. He's talking about, a, what did Jesus say? I am the light of the world. So, to be walking in the light means you're in Jesus. You're born again, all right? So, to be in darkness means to not be born again. What's Colossians chapter 1 say? God, verse, verses 12 and 13, God qualified us and made us worthy. King James says meet, M-E-E-T, through His Son. and says he, he translated us, the King James says, out of the kingdom of darkness. So, we've been translated out of darkness, all right? This isn't a believer who's struggling. This is a lost person. He says, and we're walking about in darkness... And the rest of the verses prove this. He says, we are both speaking falsely and do not live and practice the truth which the gospel presents. Verse 7. But if we really are living and walking in the light, notice there's a capital L. On the, if you have an amplified, it's a capital L, and it should be. As he himself is the light. Now look at this. We have true, unbroken fellowship with one another and... The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses, removes us from all sin and guilt. Now look at this. And keeps us cleansed from sin 
in all its forms and manifestations. Woo! Now what does that? The blood does that. Now in the King James Version, it says, The blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, cleanseth us from all sin. That's how it says it. That word cleanseth in the King James is translated perfectly here. It means a continual cleansing. It's like, and I've referenced this a lot, like if you've ever seen like one of these old cartoons, and like you've got Bugs Bunny walking down the street, and you've got Elmer Fudd walking beside him. Bugs is enjoying the warm sunlight. It's a beautiful day out. But Elmer, there's rain on him, no matter where he goes. Bugs, there's no rain nowhere else, but it's just right on Elmer, man. You know, he's getting just dumped on, poured upon. Well, that's kind of what it's like here. We, we live under a, a constant waterfall of God's forgiveness, an ever-cleansing flow. And that is so important to understand. If you think about the, as we close up here, you think about the children of Israel. And they had many sacrifices. The book of Leviticus details them all. Peace offerings and uh, just all types of different sins and animals and sacrifices and all kinds of stuff. But the big one was in Leviticus 16, and that was the Day of Atonement. Now, if you took any Jewish person, whether it was one of their uh, personal sacrifices for something they did, or if it was the Day of Atonement, if you went and met him, because here's what, you know, we know what they did. They would take their animal. They would go to the very door of the tabernacle of Moses. The priest would step outside the door. They would say, yeah, I committed a sin. I did this. They would put their hand on the head of that animal. Let's say they were using a goat this time. They would put their hand on the head of that goat. All right? So when they did that, they were transferring, in a sense, their sin to that animal. With their hand on it, the priest would take a blade and slice his throat and kill him. And then, yeah, fun, right? I'm glad I'm not an Old Testament priest, man. So then he would take that animal, and then he would take it inside and cut it open and have fun, so to speak. Cut that bad boy open, you know? And so whether it was that or the Day of Atonement, if you would, if you would go and ask that guy, you know, whatever, say, sir, come here for a minute. He said, when, you know, when you were walking up to the temple here, you looked so down, your head was hanging down, you wouldn't make eye contact, you wouldn't look at me, you were just so down and out about it. But now you come back here and you're smiling, you're happy, you're full of joy. What happened? Now, the Jewish person, if you, if you investigated and interrogated and tried to pinpoint what it was, they would tell you, well, yeah, I sinned, but there was blood shed for my sin. The Jewish person fully understands, fully understood that their forgiveness or their atonement was not based upon anything they did. It was based strictly upon the blood. Amen. Of course, we all know that's a type and shadow of Jesus, all right? Now, think about this with me. Under the Old Testament, book of Hebrews tells us that chapters 9 and chapter 10, that if there ever would have been a sacrifice that could have perfectly dealt with sin, there would have been no need for any more sacrifices. I mean, that makes sense, right? For every sin, you, the sacrifice of the inferior blood of animals could only deal with individual sins. So there was a sin-by-sin sin sacrifice, all right? But the blood of Jesus, the book of Hebrews tells us, and lots of other places, was a once-for-all sacrifice. Now think about this with me. In the New Covenant, we're not forgiven on a sin-by-sin sin basis. We're forgiven through the one sacrifice, all right? So, you know, you just think any number of verses, but like uh, John the Baptist, when Jesus came, he's, John 1.29, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, all right? So under the old covenant, for every sin, there was a confession and a new sacrifice, a new shedding of blood. So what does the book of Hebrews say? Without the shedding, chapter 9, without the shedding of blood, what? 
There is no forgiveness. So forgiveness never came by telling God you're sorry, please forgive me. Forgiveness all that may be part, that may be part of how you express your your how you feel about it, but that's not what brings forgiveness. Again, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So my words can't forgive me. My apology can't forgive me. You, you know, the book of Leviticus chapter 17, there's a verse, and you guys have probably heard it. It says, the life of the flesh is in the blood. So blood had to be shed, all right? So that's what Jesus did. Now let's keep reading here, and we're going to see how this plays into this. And we're almost through. We're about to close. Verse 8. John says this. He said, if we say that we have no sin, then he says this, refusing to admit that we are sinners. So he's talk, clearly talking about an unbeliever. We delude and lead ourselves astray, and the truth which the gospel presents is not in us and does not dwell in our hearts. So that's a person who's not born again. Well, John, what do I do about this? Next verse. If we freely admit that we have sinned and confess our sins, now look at this, he is faithful. Now see, our forgiveness is not dependent upon our faithfulness. Aren't you glad? Our forgiveness is dependent upon his faithfulness. Amen? He says he's faithful and just, true to his own nature and promises, and will forgive our sins dismiss our lawlessness, and then it says this, like it says in the Greek, and continually cleanse us. See, that's that waterfall of forgiveness that we live under. Continually cleanse us from all unrighteousness, everything not in conformity to His will and purpose, thought, and action. Then verse 10, if we say or, or claim that we have not sinned, we contradict His word and make Him out to be false and a liar, and His word is not in us. The divine message of the gospel is not in our hearts. So again, in closing, under the Old Testament, there was a sin-by-sin sin forgiveness system. For every sin, there's a new confession and a new sacrifice. Under the new covenant, there's the one sacrifice, and really there's the one confession. This verse is what I call, verse 9, King James, if we confess our sins, or it's really sin, it, the King James put S on there. It's sin. It's the same word in the book of Romans. It talks about the sin nature, all right, that old man. So if we confess, in other words, that we're a sinner, God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can only be cleansed of unrighteousness one time. Hello. When you sin, it doesn't change your nature back to a sinner. There's not one single verse in all the New Testament that ever calls a Christian a sinner. All right? So God cleanses, or unrighteous. So God cleanses us from that sin nature, that unrighteousness, and permanently places us in the kingdom of His Son. And how does He do it? Because of how good we are. Absolutely not. Because of how faithful we are through the blood of Jesus and absolutely nothing else. Amen? Stand up. We'll dismiss here. Hallelujah. You know, I don't read from the Amplified too often, but the Amplified is the best translation I have found on the First uh, John there, chapter 1. He just lays it out very clearly. He's talking about sinners. And so, you know, it's a sad thing that we base our forgiveness on a lot of times how we feel, you know, like, you know, because you do something bad, you do feel bad. You know, you sin or you, you mouth off or you do something, whatever, you know, it doesn't matter. You feel bad. 
you know? And so we start thinking, I am what I feel. You know, and you don't feel righteous all the time. You don't feel close to God all the time. You don't feel saved and clean and holy all the time. But thank God it's not dependent on, a, on our faithfulness. Amen? And it's like that verse in 2 Timothy said, if we deny him, his truth, he'll deny our lie, if you will. If I go to God and say, God, I'm a sinner. I feel so bad and terrible and messed up and rotten. I shouldn't have done that. The Lord will deny my, my lie. He'll say, no, you're not. Now, what did Jesus say in John 16? He said, the spirit of truth will convict the believer of righteousness. The spirit of God will always be there to remind you, to convict, or to convince you, no, you're the righteousness of God through my son's finished work. And it's always based on his faithfulness. Amen?